Welcome to the Principles of Success, interviewing the experts, and today's book review is Single Dating Engaged. So Single Dating Engaged is such an important book. This is one of the books out of the whole year that I think everyone needs to listen to. And I had to listen to it twice because the first time round, all of my notes got deleted. And so I waited for some time to pass before I listened to it to again because nothing's more boring than listening to a self-help book immediately after you just listened to it. So I waited for quite a while to do this one, but I was determined to do this one because this one is just that good. So the title of the book kind of speaks for how the flow of the book is. You have single, you have dating, and you have engagement. A good chunk of the book focuses on singlehood, a good chunk focuses on dating, a good chunk focuses on what to do when you've actually found somebody who you would like to marry. Because a lot of dating books, they kind of just leave off at that point. They're like, oh, you found them, good luck. And a lot of them skip the first part where it's, well, you're single, let's change that. No, it's, you're single, here's what you do during your singlehood. Now here's what you do when you're dating. Now here's what you do when you're looking to get married. Now, fair warning, this book is written by a highly evangelical Christian, so there is a lot of Jesus talk. I quite like Jesus talk. But even I was like, can we get back to dating in some of the sections? So, let's start off with people are asking, what are the rules? You see, in this modern age, the rule, well, in historical times, like, 20, 40 years ago, the rules were pretty well understood. You did this, you did this, you went on some dates, blah, 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 ask the dad if you can marry the daughter, live happily ever after. But now the rules have changed over the years, like different cultures had different rules for how it all went. The problem is, in the modern times, we kind of just chucked the rules out the window, and people are still asking what the rules are. For example, just, just an example, he uses this in the book. What is the rule for frequency of texting your girlfriend? Are you supposed to text them every single day? Is it a really big deal if you don't text them one day? Nobody knows the answer to that because the rules haven't really been established. So Joe might think it's perfectly fine not to text your girlfriend every couple of days. And Sally might think that that's absolutely horrible and that means something is majorly wrong. Or reverse. Sally might think the fact that he texts her every single day is clingy and annoying. Or feels the need to, to text her every single day is clingy and annoying. So people are asking what the rules are in dating in general, not just something as mundane as that. Here's a scary stat. 40% of children are born into a single household. That is not good. I don't care who you are. The science is very clear on that. Children born into single-parent households have so many mental and financial disadvantages. So when the storms get a-blowing and the waters get troubled, a lighthouse is very useful. A guide is very useful. And that goes into the first chapter, which is building your relationship with God. He is your guide in troubled times. Your potential spouse cannot fill your God-sized need for love and for acceptance. You are not, they're not, your spouse is incapable of fulfilling that level of need that every human has. 
you have to turn to the Lord for that level of love. And when you know that you are loved, it's a whole lot easier to love others, which translates to it's a whole lot easier to get people to like you and love you when you're coming from a place of abundance, not scarcity. And here's the thing. We've all, uh, one of the things we tossed out is the idea of commit. One of the rules that we tossed out is the idea of commitment. Love stays through sickness and health. Any trial, when you marry someone, you're supposed to make, be making a covenant between you, them, and the Lord that you are going to be with them for the rest of your life, no matter what comes. We kind of tossed that out of the rule book, out with the rules. And that kind of screwed quite a bit up. But when you love somebody, when you're looking at somebody who you want to marry, ask yourself. Like, obviously, you can't make the other person stay with you through all the th things. They have free agency. They'll choose to make stupid decisions sometimes. But ask yourself, let's say they got hit by, let's say they got hit by a flammable a car carrying flammable liquid and they get their body gets completely destroyed lit on flame scars all over paralyzed from the waist down would you be willing to stay with them or not if not you have some thinking to do moving on to the next chapter the purpose of singleness i touched on this a little bit in a previous episode and i got a lot of that from this book the purpose of singleness he starts off with devotion your devotion to the Lord. You are you don't have all of these burdens that come with relationships. When you're single, you can be single-mindedly devoted to the Lord. And sometimes the most loving gift can be the gift of singleness. I am kind of grumpy right now about being single cuz I just had yet another disappointment. But sometimes the gift of singleness can be the best gift ever because you have the time to do things that you otherwise wouldn't do. Like, for instance, I'm not going on a date right now, so I have time to make this episode. No, I didn't get canceled on a date. That's just an example. Dating, you see, dating is a distraction. When you don't have to date anybody, when you're single, you have time to focus on something else. He suggests the Lord. That's a pretty good one. There are, and then there's all sorts of projects that you can also focus on. You can focus on the success of your business. You can focus on making a podcast. But you have undistracted time to focus on the Lord. Marriage has responsibilities. When you're single, you can focus just on that. When you're single, you can take the risk of starting a business. If everything falls apart, you just have to crash on a friend's couch for a little bit while you get yourself back on your feet. If you're married and have kids, things get a little more risky because now you're not just risking your life. And when you're married, you have to do things with your spouse. They want to spend time with you. How unreasonable. Same thing with your kids. They want to spend time with their dad. That's just ridiculous. You get really encumbered. You lose a lot of free time to work on other things. So singleness can be a gift. When you're single, do a spur-of-the-moment trip. Try doing that when you're married. See, singleness is the gift of freedom and time. You are the freest at any time in the rest of your life. As a child, you don't, ha you don't, you don't have a lot of freedom. You're a kid. Once you're married, you don't have lots of freedom. You have to take care of your spouse. 
When you have kids, you definitely don't have a lot of freedom because you have to make sure those little buggers don't starve. So when you are a single young adult, that is the freest time you will ever have. So that's that chapter. Next chapter is who to date. What is dating for? You are supposed to be finding somebody who you can build a life together. I've never really understood the idea of casual dating outside of when you're like 16, 17 years old. The purpose of dating is to try and find a spouse. And the act of dating is you going on dates to find people who you might be compatible with and then getting to know them. So who to date? What qualities should you look for? I actually did a, um, it'll have been a while back by this point, but I did a book review on the seven irresistible qualities that men want in a woman. Those list some pretty great qualities that guys like, ladies. And gentlemen, a lot of those same qualities apply to you too. One thing guys definitely don't want is a contentious woman. There's even a couple of biblical scriptures about how the last thing you want in life is a contentious woman. Something about it'd be better to sleep on top of the straw roof than live with a contentious woman. So what qualities should you look for? He didn't really list any specifics, but he did list character and chemistry. You should be looking for both character and chemistry. You want someone with godly character and fun chemistry. They're not going to be perfect, but you're, but you want somebody who's trying to be good. And chemistry depends on who you are. I quite like a girl with a little bit of sass, a little bit of spunk. I also like her to be super sweet. I hate water. I don't like swimming. Some of you might think swimming is the bomb. That's where the chemistry comes from. But the character, character is pretty universal. We know what good character is. And when you're looking for character and chemistry, you need to switch from a consumer mindset to a companion mentality. See, a consumer, you just, you go to the store and you pick out the things that you want, and then you put them in your cart and you buy them. Well, it doesn't really work too well when you're looking for a spouse. I'm like, yes, I want her to have blue eyes, a nice butt, a very sweet, excellent cook. Like, oh, she has anger issues. I'll, I'll just leave that one there. You don't get to do that. You have to look for somebody who has good character and compatible chemistry, but they're not going to be a perfect fit. They're not going to meet all of your needs. You're not going to be interested in the same, in all of the same things. They're not supposed to be a perfect match. If they were, you'd be marrying yourself. So here are some of the consumer mistakes that people make. Number one, unrealistic expectations. He's not going to be six foot making six figures, super charismatic and spoil you like a princess. She is probably not going to have giant boobs and a big perky butt. Usually it's one or the other. And you think this generation knows how to cook? Number two, you don't know what you want. He tells a story of basically a friend of his was only interested in extremely adventurous girls, like an outgoing. And then the friend gets married and she's an extremely introverted, shy, sweet girl who's a homebody. You don't know what you'll end up falling madly in love for. And so by putting on all of these filters, we're like, oh, <laughs> I did this just the other day. Like, oh. She likes swimming a lot. We must not be a good fit because she likes swimming and I hate swimming. So I'm just not going to talk to her because she likes swimming. 
Well, maybe I don't like swimming. Maybe, but everything else about her, I might like. Number three, basing the permanent off of the transient. Remember, you're looking for someone who can, you can build a permanent long-term life with. And especially on dating apps, you're basing them off of the most transient features. You see, charm is, dece is deceptful, deceitful. Charm is deceitful. And beauty is vain. She's not going to look that good in the, or she's not going to look as good when she first wakes up in the morning as she does in that photoshopped picture with filters on. He might be extremely charming and still an utterly selfish jerk. Both are temporary things that can change all the time. So you're basing a permanent relationship off of the most transient of things. And then number four, a consumerist mindset dehumanizes the other. They're not a person. They're just the things that are there to cross off my list. And if they don't have meet my list perfectly, then they're not my spouse. So what are you wanting to look for in character? Same commitment to God. If somebody's super religious and somebody's super anti-religious, you probably shouldn't get in a relationship. It isn't fun to drag somebody in the opposite direction that they want to go. If you're wanting to go to California and your spouse is wanting to go to Florida, you guys have a rope tied between the two of you, you're going to be doing a lot of extra effort if you had decided to tie a rope with somebody who wants to go in the same direction. You want somebody who is pursuing God, not just believes. Remember, this is his book. If you're trying to pursue the Lord and your spouse isn't, once again, you'll be dragging uh, each other. Like, sure, they believe, but when, but when things get challenging, how strong is that belief? Number three of character, someone who loves and has morality outside of you. Sure, they treat you really nice, but they're a jerk to everyone else. That's not a good sign. Sure, they'd never cheat on you, but they have no problem with petty theft. And then number four for character, one dinner isn't a good judgment of character. You have to watch them. This is why you date. You take time to watch each other, get to know each other, see how each other acts when things get presented. Anyone can be charming and kind and good for one dinner. It's a whole lot harder over time. I have one friend who got married fairly quickly, and he's stated that he probably wouldn't have married her um, if he had waited a little longer, because for a few months, you can be sweet, even if you are a grouchy person. But as time passes, that mask gets a whole lot harder to maintain. So, watch them. Now, chemistry. You want someone with the same ideology. Someone with compatible beliefs. Politics. Type of church. Sure, you both believe in God. You both believe in Christ. A Baptist is very different from a Latter-day Saint. If you're a liberal, you probably shouldn't date a Republican. So, chemistry. Make sure you have the same ideologies. What you believe in together. Social compatibility. Do you enjoy talking to each other? Or is it boring? No physical contact allowed in this assessment. Just pure, do you enjoy their company outside of the physicality? Another example would be city versus country. I hate being in a city. I hate being in a decently sized town. My little sister absolutely loved New York. She was like, there's so many people. I, I didn't go 
because there is so many people. Another example, party versus homebody. I quite enjoy staying at home. I also don't mind going out. Some people love going out, hate staying home. Others love staying home, hate going out. Shopping versus saving. Now, let's be clear. You're not going to be a perfect match. Like, for, like what I just stated. I prefer staying at home. That is my preference. If I do end up dating a girl who really likes to go out and do stuff, we can go out and do stuff. But she also has to be fine with us staying home sometimes. It doesn't mean that you can only date somebody who loves going out. It does mean you have to date somebody who is compatible enough with you for it to work without extreme undue stress. Then there's philosophical stuff. I would like my wife to be a stay-at-home mom. Some women really want to be a career wife. Or, yeah, a career wife. That's perfectly fine. I don't want that. I'm not going to marry them. And then, of course, there's physical compatibility. It should be a factor. It's not the factor, but it should be a factor. Do you find them attractive? Rejecting somebody because you have no physical interest in them is perfectly okay. Next chapter, how to date. There are seven principles. Note that these are principles, not steps. Everybody wants steps. You go, okay, I do this, and then I do this, and then I do this, and then I live happily ever after. That's not how dating works. But there are seven principles to dating for you to keep in mind as you go out into the world and date. Number one, prayerfully. Trust in the Lord. He knows what's best and what's going to happen and you just have to be patient, and I am having trouble with that statement because I'm kind of mad right now. Number two, clarity. Make sure you are clear. Make sure you communicate with them. Don't just sit back on your haunches. Initiate. Actually use the word date. So when you initiate, use the word date. Then you go through the process of dating, uh, of the date, and you make sure that to let them know that you had fun and what you are looking for. It's extremely annoying when one person is looking for a, a happily ever after marriage and the other person is just looking to get laid or just to have a nice dinner and some time out with somebody so for some company. Two very different goals. Make sure you guys communicate what you are actually looking for. And then if the time comes where you have to exit, whether it be the first date or the 20th date. Exit gracefully. Do not ghost people. It's rude. It's mean. It's, it's mean. It's horrible. Be better. Number three, autonomy. Boyfriend and girlfriend isn't a real status. It's a process. You're going from strangers to marriage. But it's like we're married. No, it's not. You have no right to their body because you can break up that afternoon. Number four, purity. Sex is a binding experience. I've actually talked about the science behind this in other episodes. The more you do, the harder it, it, the breakup is. The point of sex is to seal a union. When that union gets broken because it wasn't a real union, because you were just boyfriend and girlfriend, it's extremely hard on the heart. Number five, courteously. Put in some effort. Build them up. Don't just use them. Number six, guidance. Letting the community have a say is a good idea. If your friends and family don't like them, you probably shouldn't marry them. There's probably a legitimate reason why they don't like them. They have the outsider's perspective. You are busy with hormones 
And then number seven, and this is the one I have a hard time with, patiently. What's the hurry? Are, why are you in a hurry for a eternal bond? Three months, six months isn't that long of a time to vet someone out when you're looking at them for eternity. This episode's getting kind of long. So next chapter, sex. We live in a hypersexualized society. That's just a fact. Most men are porn addicts. That's also just a fact. Because of this, women feel the pressure to oversex to oversexualize themselves or they feel invisible. A oversexualized society increases body issue um, body issues, confidence issues. It increases rape. Women, the more men that you sleep with, the higher your depression is and the lower your ability to bond with your future husband will be. These are facts. It's not Christian woo-woo stuff. This is real psychological stats. Men, the more porn addicted you are, the harder it is for you to get be, to be turned on by an actual real life woman. If you're super deep down the porn hole, that sounded wrong. If you're super deep down the porn addiction hole, it becomes extremely hard for you to even enjoy actual sex. And let's be real, no one enjoys hooking up. You always feel bad or like crap or used afterwards. The point of sex is to bond a relationship. Hooking up kind of sucks. You feel empty afterwards. Nobody, if they're being honest, enjoys it. Both men and women, but especially women. And let's be clear, the Bible is pro-sex. He quotes a verse that basically says, Husbands are commanded to enjoy their wife's breasts daily. And you can teach each other how to pleasure each other once you're married. Now let's. Now here's the thing. Be kinder on yourself. Be harsher on the internet. Put restrictions on. Make sure that you aren't exposed to that filth that blows a crater in your hole every five seconds. But be kinder to yourself. We live in an overly sexualized society. You're going to see things that you probably shouldn't see. Your kids are going to see things that they probably shouldn't see. That's why I'm not going to have internet in my house. I'm going back to good old DVDs, movies. And they're still going to see things they're not supposed to see. Even with me carefully vetting the movies. A simple rule to try and help you is just don't have the phone in your room. Don't have electronics in your room. Don't have access to the internet in a place where you can be completely isolated from everyone else. Next chapter, you can trust God with your love life. Your spouse isn't going to be weird. You're not going to hate your spouse. You're not going to be like, oh, this is who I'm supposed to marry. One, that's not how it works. But two, you can trust him. You will like your spouse. And when you're looking for your spouse, make sure you go where they'll be. It's going to be really hard to find a country girl in New York City. Find someone who's industrious. Marrying a lazy person sucks. But then make sure to surrender the search. Let the Lord handle it. And then look for someone who's gracious. And then watch. Make sure that it's not just an act. What you want is someone who will make you worship the Lord. You want someone who makes you think only God could have made this happen. So that's all the dating side of it. Now we're moving into the next chapter, or the next section, engagement. Four ways to know that you know. One, you have a strong sense of commitment. Do you want to resolve problems with them? Things are going to come up. Do you want to solve them, or do you want to just walk away? Two, communications. When you disagree, do you go into attack mode? 
silence treatment, or do you actually try and communicate with each other to resolve it? Three, can you divulge your secrets? If you have to keep secrets from them, you probably shouldn't get engaged. Four, do the others in the community agree that this is a good idea? I already touched on that. Involve friends and family. Involve the church that you go to. If you, if they think it's a bad idea, you probably shouldn't do it. Next chapter, becoming one. This, so basically planning the wedding. This is the best and the worst time. You are getting all the responsibilities of marriage without any of the perks yet. You have to go meet her dad. And here's the thing. Remember, as far as dad is concerned, you're a stranger who's saying, hey, give me that baby. I want that baby. And I want you to pay for giving me that baby because they have to pay for the wedding. And like you're there to steal their baby. So make sure that you treat him with respect and let him know that you can be trusted because you're there to steal his baby. Next, can you afford her? If you can't afford to support your wife, how are you supposed to convince your father-in-law that you aren't just stealing the baby? Now, that doesn't mean you have to afford her current lifestyle. In fact, that's one of the things that you have to talk about is can you build a budget together? How do both of you spend? If you don't spend like she does or she, he spends way more than you are comfortable with as a wife, that's something you need to discuss. But can you afford her? Can you support your spouse? If you can't, you need to work on that before you get married. Love doesn't fill the belly. And then some things that you need to discuss before you get married. Can you do budget? What are the chores? Who's going to take care of what? Have that understanding before you seal the deal. And here's the thing to remember. The right person at the wrong time is not the right person. And then the last chapter, marriage. It's not good for man to be alone. You're supposed to get married. A wife is supposed to submit to her husband. Now, su submit does not mean dominion or servitude. It's a choice to follow. Let me ask you a question. Ladies, would you rather have a guy who asks you out and when you get in the car asks what you want to do? Or would you rather have a guy who takes the lead and comes up with a plan? If you want that kind of guy, you have to submit to follow his lead. That's all that verse means in the Bible. And if he's not someone who you would happily follow, you shouldn't marry him. So a woman's responsibility is to submit to her husband. A husband's responsibility is to love and cherish his wife. Initiate, gentlemen, initiate romance. Take her on dates. Do spontaneous lovey-dovey things. It's your job to make sure the romance stays alive and you're not just her roommate. And if you want sex, you better make sure you initiate the romance. Intimacy. Remember, go back to reading his needs, her, her needs. Your job is to initiate communication. Make sure everything's going good. Your job is to initiate spirituality. Make sure that you guys go to church. And your job is to initiate sacrifice. Your job is to sacrifice everything for your wife and your children. Just like if the woman isn't willing to submit to her husband, if you're not willing to sacrifice for your family, you shouldn't be marrying that girl. And that's it for this book. This book is one of the best books when it comes to the whole range of singlehood, dating, and engagement, and getting married. So I really quite enjoyed this book, even though I did have to read it twice. And with that, I will see you all next week.